And now the Wembley crowd gets its first side of the two teams for this 1972 League Cup final. On the right, Stoke City, and on the left, Chelsea. Dave Sexton, the manager. There's Mike Pidgeck. And George Easton, the man who must have thought his perhaps football career at the highest level was over when he went to South Africa. Well, from the game itself, it was we went into it. Uh, Chelsea were considered the favourites by by the media and everybody else. We didn't think that at that stage we were extremely good side, and we thought we 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 got every chance of winning. So we went in with a positive attitude, which was good. Uh, it was a competitive game. There was a few things going on, and a few, few little tussles with Mr. Osgood. Foul by Osgood on Greenoff. And one or two of the Stoke players there beginning to mix it a little bit with Osgood. Conroy being stopped by Harris. And uh, yeah, throughout, throughout it, I always felt as though we'd got a, something a little bit extra which would give them problems. And it, it turned out to be that way. Um, it's a shame the club haven't won anything major since then. You know, it, it's something that's good to look back on. But. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping before I leave this uh, planet that they come up with another one for me to enjoy. Now, as a, as a fan, it's been far too long for, you know, to go, keep going back to 72. It's great, yeah, we're, from our point of view, who, who were there, but to be your generation, who weren't around, and it, it is a long time ago. Oh, I, I think those, the team through the early 70s was, was extremely good. Um, perhaps we haven't got the strength and depth that they've got, the squads they've got now. But you know, the, the top 15, 16 players we had were an extremely good side. We had some very talented players. And lads who, yeah, yeah, I mean, we had the world's best goalkeeper, so you've got a good base to start with. Uh, a back four of local lads who were, were dedicated to the club. And then we, we had got the people with that little bit extra going forward with the Conroys and the Greenups, uh, the Dovers. You know, they, they were lads who, who were talented. Uh, but we gelled as a team. The, the mix was good. Yeah, I mean, everybody talks about us being an attractive side, playing good football. We could defend. We weren't particularly nice to play against either. Well, Tony, you brought an honour to Stoke for 108 years, after 108 years. Did you feel at any time in the game it wasn't on? Oh, I thought it wasn't on uh, before the game, after the game, during the game and so on, until, in, until the game was over. You know, Jim, that uh, you've got to take it all the time and hope that things work out. But when you just said this thing about um, 100 and odd years, the oldest cliche in the game is it's a funny game, as you well know. And, uh, but I think that uh, it's almost become a, a fact that Stoke City haven't won anything in over 100 years has nearly knocked even that one in the hat. <laughs> What I hope will not happen from now on is that people will turn around and say, well, Stoke have only won the League Cup in 100 and odd years. Let's forget about 100 and odd years. I haven't been, I'm not that old, I hope. 
as far as we're concerned, it's a great day for us. I think it's a great day for football too, Jim, in lots of ways, because uh, as an example, Mr Mears has just come in and congratulated me, and what he said was, I think, sums it all up. He said, congratulations, Tony, it couldn't happen to a nicer club. And I think that's very important, because we have a relationship with a lot of people in the game, with nearly every, well, everybody in the game, and I think this, what's, what's happened today is good for football as well as good for Stoke City. Well, I, I mean, it's good to what type of person you are. I mean, I, when I was captain, yeah, I'm vocal, but I was vocal even when I wasn't captain. So it didn't really matter to, to me whether I was captain or not. I was going to say my piece and talk to people and drag people about. Ryan off the field will possibly be doing it in the dressing room. There is less organisation to be done on the field now than there was back in our day where we, we took control once we were out there on the field of decision making. Um, it possibly comes more from the touchline now. Uh, Ryan is quiet, for, but it, I've known, I've noticed he's, he's grown and been more vocal since Robert Tooth left. Robert was a natural one to, to lead. Uh, Peter was very quiet, but you're respected for his ability and what he said off the field. And it's having the respect of the players. Uh, if you've got the respect of the players, then you, you don't always have to be shouting your mouth off, which I always did, but that was me. <laughs> it's frustrating when you, you see the standard of defending at times. Um, and people say, well, you, well yeah, we didn't grapple with people. We, we, you know, we, we were always touch tight and we, we made it difficult and we attacked the ball. So defending at set plays, you would, would think... That, but in the end, everybody thinks... You know, Back then, everybody just went around kicking people. Now, I was brought up by my father. If, if you can't pass and control, you can't play. You know, and I was a kicking centre-half. So, but the basis was based on you had to be able to control the ball and pass it. That was, you know, contrary to popular belief, I didn't just chip centre-forwards over. <laughs> uh, and so the, that side of it... It's still the same, but I think people think that uh, playing in between the lines and all this was only invented in '92 when the Premier League came in. Uh, you know, people like George's, George's finding space was incredible. He found space in a telephone box. All my coaching on midfield players was ba for finding space was based on George's, uh, and uh, we had Peter Dobin and great people who to, to base it on Alan Hudson. George was the best I've ever come across to find in space. And then, from an attacking point of view, Jimmy Greenough for, for being available. You know, when you pass the ball, he was always available. So he made me passing look better because he, he always got himself in good positions. So, contrary to, to what people think, you know, we, we pass the ball extremely well. Towards Osgood, trying to nod it for Garland. Garland getting the shot in, a beautiful piece of goalkeeping by Banks. Had so little time to see it, but got down in a flash from Garland. Oh, without if if Gordon hadn't had his accident, I'm pretty certain we would have done. Yeah, I think that that was the catalyst that, that went wrong. Um, we John Ritchie broke his leg as well, so we needed a centre forward and a goalkeeper. Um, if it, I had a, I had to say with Tony Wanter, would have kept John Farmer in goal. I mean, Schultz didn't work out. When he came, didn't work out. Uh, Tony spent his money on the goalkeeper. I thought he should have, say, brought Osgood or something in as a striker. 
um, to, to replace John Ritchie. So I think, you know, that was we were that close. We were that close to being a team that could win the league. And you know, it's disappointing. But that's life. Um, you know, times change. Uh, now, I played all my career for Stoke and loved it. But I, possibly now I wouldn't have done because Ajax came in for me, Man United came in for me, Derby came in for me, Leeds came in. You know, somewhere along the line, that would have changed whether you know, because that's how the game is now. So for Ryan, to, back to Ryan Shawcross, to be here as long as he has, is brilliant because it gives you solid base, you know, and that's why you, know, you see the wheelings and the waters is going up. You know, they have been your core, and we need to replace that core. I think Fletcher's a good signing to start to replace, but you need that core of local or people who who've, have got some feel for the club. Peter Dobing then with the throw for Stoke City. Smith is right up at the near post for Stoke, and Osgood had come back with him, and it was the fist of Bonetti turned in again. And now, Greenock looking for it, and Conroy! Terry Conroy! A marvellous start by Stoke City, and it was Conroy's header that finally put it behind Benetti, with the ball bobbing about there. Exactly the start that they wanted. Obviously, when you're playing on an occasion such as the Cup Final, you're hoping that you make a good start and we made an unbelievable start after four minutes we scored a goal and every Stokey out there knows that I scored a goal but, but to be honest with you, it, it's, it's like something you dream about and then that dream becomes a reality but I think in 72 I think the first year that was where they had an electronic scoreboard and I could just see on the scoreboard Conroy 4 and genuinely I, I was in a dream for the next 10 minutes because it was transfixed by this Conroy 4 on the scoreboard I thought that's not real it's just somebody's going to wake me up and I felt I was in a trance for the next 10 minutes and I played like it because I lost possession and I was giving the ball away to the opposition and Jackie Marsh had to say to me you know Wake up, TJ. What's happening? And, and kind of that was the impact that had on me for the next ten minutes. And it's it's it's, it's kind of looking back after all these years. It's uh, it still hasn't hit home to me that I scored a goal at Wembley. Yeah, you know, it, it's just but to thousands of other people, that, that's real, and that's something that people who were there that day remind me of, and all the fans since you've taken up support and Stoke are aware of that special day so my memories are purely of the scoreboard yeah. you know, first and foremost because I genuinely thought every kid dreams of playing at Wembley and more importantly they were scoring a goal and I'd achieved both of those, but it, it, it didn't seem real to me at the time. And I suppose looking back now, the fondness of, of that, the reality of that is that Stoke, being the second oldest league club in the world, have only won one trophy, and that was in 72. So that's very special, because when we go about our normal daily duties or wherever we meet up, 
while we, we see each other at games. The rapport from the fans and the, the fondness and the, 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 the bond is still very strong 50 years on, which is remarkable. Well, 72, it's uh, 45 years on, isn't it? 45, sorry. So, you know, that's nice because we're still regarded in the, in the, in the city as somebody who's made an impact on people's lives. And it's probably we don't realise what that impact is because it's still continual to today. The younger generation, they've been brought up on that by their dads and their granddads, so it's passed down to the generations. And even the youngsters who may be 12, 13, 14, who are now season ticket holders, when they meet up with any of us, they're familiar with the players because that's what they've been brought up. And, and that's a, a great kind of memory to leave because that link is still strong with the fans and the players. And another probably memory of the day is Wembley at the time was notorious for the turf, the pitch. It was sapping, energy sapping. And if you look at the game, it was non-stop. Every time we got the ball, we attacked. And every time they got the ball, they attacked. There was no such thing as tactics. There was no holding back or defending a lead. Or, or every, because it was in our instinct, it was in their players' DNA as well, that just go forward. And it made for a free-flowing game. But it also made for the fact that as a winger, which, uh, I was up and down, you know, and when the referee blew the whistle, I, I, I was never as relieved in all my life. And my first reaction was, not that we'd won, thank God, game's over. Yeah. I don't have to make any more runs because I was exhausted. The, 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 just like, it's like somebody getting a syringe and draining all the lifeblood out of your legs. Because it was that tiring. And I just collapsed on the Wembley tour, sat down, didn't move for five minutes because it was exhausted. And that was me overriding feeling, rather than the fact that elation, we won. My elation was the fact that I didn't have to yeah. run anymore. And then, five minutes into it, reality kicked in, we won. You know, and I think Mickey, Mickey Pedrick turned around and said to me, what do we do now? Well, just wait and see what happens. So. <laughs> Very special day. Yeah. Um, did you think you were going to win before that? The little chip there again towards Webb and Osgood, and Webb won't get a shot in, will he? Osgood on the ground, and he's done it, Osgood! While he was on the ground, he's got the equaliser. The first goal Osgood's ever scored at Wembley, and it puts Chelsea right back in the game at 1-1 in the last seconds of the first half. Yeah. We'd, um, the semi-final was comprised of three London clubs. It was Tottenham, Chelsea and West Ham. And we were the interlopers from the north. So from all intents and purposes, the, the press, the media had made it. That, A, it was going to be an all-London final because they could see West Ham beating us in the semi. And, and B, when we did beat West Ham and were facing Chelsea. But probably 19 out of 20 of the papers 
have predicted an easy Chelsea victory. We, we never took that on board. We went away on the Sunday before the uh, the game on the on the following Saturday to a place in Croydon called Selsden Park, and that's where we prepared for the week. Um, we trained every day by the side. That's all we did. By the side, half hour. No, no, no such thing as jogging and then sprinting and then doing any heavy walk. Because at that stage of the season in March, you're fit anyway. Games just were continually being played. We were playing FA Cup, League Cup, League games over a period of the previous three or four months. So in between the games, you just had to keep ticking over. And Tony Waddington loved you love to see the skill of the player. You used to sit in the touchline and watch players like George Easton, Peter Dolby, Jimmy Greenock. And he'd pour at the skills that he showed in, in the practice game. And he loved that. And that, they were competitive. So that was enough to keep us sharp. But on the week leading up to the final, we did some press media work. And it was always, it was always members of the opposition kind of facing you, it, whether it was on the radio programme or whether it was a link up on, on the telephone. It was always a Chelsea player against a Stoke player and then them giving their point of view. And I remember on the Friday, Dave Sexton, the manager of Chelsea, he was given the strengths and weaknesses of the Stoke team. And he went through banks, you know, a Stoke people in the world, difficult to be, good on everything he does. And he came to me, Conroy, and he said, weaknesses, He's poor in the air, he doesn't <laughs> And lo and behold, four minutes, there was my nut sticking one into the back of the net, Wembley. So, but we, we, we never talked about tactics during that week. The manager wasn't a great tactician. He believed in the players he had, he believed in the skill that we had, and, and the character, and that was the most important thing. And um, we, we, we had no negative thoughts about losing. We were confident, quietly, that we had a team good enough. And Chelsea had 10 internationals that day, so they were overwhelmingly hot favourites. But we didn't see it that way, and that's how it went out. And George Eastham, I suppose any neutral in the stadium today, if there are any, must want something to happen for George Eastham this afternoon. Gordon Banks, the world's number one goalkeeper, and not far behind him in English terms is Chelsea's Peter Bonetti. Well, of course, um, I was fortunate to have played in cup finals before when I was with Leicester City, uh, and, and of course, England playing, playing, playing England. But to walk out the tunnel with a, with a team and a club that had never played in a cup final in over a hundred years, I felt so damn proud, I really did. Even though we were the underdogs, playing against Chelsea, we went out there. <laughs> played some football and we beat them and so to carry that trophy now back to Stoke as I said they never played in the final they were carrying it the trophy the crowd in the streets when they, they you know gave us this lovely lovely you know appeal coming back was, was absolutely fabulous it was great Oh, terrific. Comple completely different to the one that I had at, at, uh, at Leicester. Uh, Matt Gillis was, no, no, just, just wasn't nothing to do with the players. He just, he just selected the team uh, and, and, and that 
was it. He, he didn't give us any information about the position, how he wanted us to play. It was just poor. And so the directors weren't very nice either because I remember I remember going back in the afternoon to uh, to do some extra work uh, myself and I got one or two other reserve players to bang some balls at me. And I, I, was, I, let, I let me show and I was working down another stand, but ready to go home. And they were having a, 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 a director's meeting that day. And three, three of them were walking towards me on the stand. And I was looking at them and I was expecting to say hello. They didn't, they just walked straight back. I couldn't believe it. And then, of course, when when Mike Gillis uh, when he approached me uh, and said to me, "This, this is what I been a couple pieces of paper about Shilton, Shilton coming through and wanting first team football." And he, he got me into the office and he said, "He said, you've read about it, don't you, Gordon? About what, what, you know, about Peter Shilton?" I said, "Yeah." Remember, I'm playing for England, playing in the cup finals. He said, well, What would you think about leaving? <laughs> Guess how old I was? 28. I was just at the, the top of my career, just a little and I couldn't believe it. And as soon as I said that, I couldn't get away with it. I can't honestly, I couldn't. I've been told by Roger Hunt, who played for England, played for Liverpool, and they were, they were perfect side. Don't sign for anybody going, he says, so, uh, uh, I said, oh, I said, that's a good thing, anyway. I thought, oh, fantastic, good. Anyway, it never, it never happened, so I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not angry about it, I can't not wait to So, of course, when the Tony called, I said, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I didn't know what the team was like. I mean, you don't really know the inside of them, when you want to play them once a year, you know, twice a year. Anyway, um, they, they, they were a lovely set of lads, we had a good laugh, and we started to play well with them. The crowd was really. that defence like to play? Oh, it's very good. I was the type of goalkeeper shout out and to uh, you know, uh, pick him up and, 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 and pull the, the left if, if the player was over on, on my right I'd pull the left back over to the that sort of thing but they, 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 they got used to it they, 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 they played well and they did, they did the jobs well which was good getting to know each other not just on the field but you know my my take my eyes out a little group get together and have a drink somewhere and we got very very you know very very uh, knowing each other really well and, and that was that was great and I think that helped for us to go out there and work for each other, help each other out on the Saturday and get get the results. Redshirts away to the pounce now, Conroy going past Webb, a delicate chip there, a deep one towards Richie, knotted down again, and a good save, and Eastham, George Eastham, 
he's done it. And if that happens to be the winner, that really is a storybook come true. But George Eastham, after Benetti had brilliantly parried Greenoff's shot, Eastham there to round it off. So the Stoke fans are delighted with that. And the neutrals too, I would think, that George Eastham, the man whose career seemed to be over when he started last summer in South Africa, but with the new referees' revolution, Tony Waddington said, it's the climate for you to come back and play again, George. And Eastham has had a brilliant season and now has put Stoke 2-1 ahead. And Gordon Banks, having lost two FA Cup finals with Leicester, now just a few seconds away from winning one with Stoke and he's done it! Stoke have won to the delight of their bench and their supporters. With their goals, the winning one coming from George Eastham, 35 years old, now getting the congratulations from Hollins and congratulations all round on that Stoke bench from Tony Waddington particularly, the man who has revitalised football in the Potteries. Stoke, 108 years of trying, and now at long, long last, they have succeeded. The journey down the motorway really must be so worthwhile. And against all the normal Wembley traditions, it's the losers, Chelsea, who are going up first to get their losers' medals. So the Stoke banners and the Stoke scarves making it red and white at one end, and the blue of Chelsea now going up, led by skipper Ron Harris, to collect their losers' medals. They won the FA Cup two years ago, the Cup Winners' Cup last year, you could say they've had their share of the spoils, but the hat-trick has been denied them by Stoke City this afternoon, as Peter Dobing, who 12 years ago went up those same steps to collect a loser's medal in the FA Cup final with Brackburn Rovers, now the winners with Stoke City. A great old campaigner, and a worthy prize towards the end of a great career. And that is going back, that cup, to the Potteries. And who can doubt that the Stoke supporters who've waited so long, so very long, for something to cheer of this magnitude, why shouldn't they enjoy every possible moment of it? Fabulous, Brian. It's unbelievable. It's proved a lot of people wrong as well. So we're glad about that. Tell us about your goal. Well, actually, one, I think it was Jimmy Greenoff shot for goal, Brian, and it was deflected by David Webb, I think onto my head I just happened to stick my head out and went in you know and Peter Benetti was, was way out of position but you know I wouldn't blame him in any way did you think it was going to go against you when Chelsea got that goal at a vital time just before half time 
obviously, as I said, they got a goal. Psychologically, it was a great moment for them, you know, just before halftime. And the second half, they came up, came out, and they had their backs, you know, they, we had our backs to the wall. But we overcame the early pressure and then started to play our normal game. And then, of course, George Eastham had his say. T- Terry, as a bloke who plays a bit in midfield yourself, what do you think of George Eastham? Well, today he showed it. He never stopped running, Brian, did he? Fantastic for a man of 45, isn't he? <laughs> he tells everybody he's 35, but really he's 45. <laughs> but obviously, you know, he's, he's actually he's, he's a very greedy devil, Brian, because he wanted to score today to steal all the glory from the rest of us. So he's proved his point. But you're going to have fun tonight. Oh, obviously, and tomorrow, and Monday, and Tuesday.